For the week of May 9th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 540, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling-Reich. And at the Senior Center, I'm Michael Giltz. What do you mean the Senior Center? Is that like uh, the Staples Center? You're there for a basketball game? No, not not at all. A, 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 A planned community for our Older Silver Fox citizens. Uh, there was a t- story in the New York Times about a uh, a 19-year-old teenage girl who accidentally moved into an apartment complex that's geared towards seniors. Uh, they were like, oh, the neighbors won't care about the noise because she was like worried about playing. And he's like, oh, no, they won't care about the noise like because they have hearing aids. They don't care. And turns out she loves it. And she's been posting on Instagram and they're all her friends and they bring her treats. And it's this adorable young woman living in it. It's like golden girls crossed with a kid. So it's like sitcom, sitcom, everybody. Ding, 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 ding. I'm sure the sitcom rights are being picked up even as we speak. Here's my question. Why do you need to pick up rights? Just write it. You don't need her. You can, in other words, you don't, the reason you don't, you yeah. don't. You don't, but you know, it's, you saw it. It's not, it doesn't cost much. Just clean it up, make it nice and easy, you know. But well, no, you, yeah, you I saw that your- same story, and, and I love the fact that, you know, she went to see the place at night, so she wasn't like – she didn't Cluing notice. In. Yeah, she didn't like <laughs> notice that it said, you know, assisted living facility or, you know, like senior living. And so then uh, when, when she was told, you know, hey, I like this place, the guy said, OK, you can move in tonight if you want. Yeah, uh, none of the neighbors will care because, uh, you know, they don't mind the noise. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? Wow, party. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're I always, this they just uh, Netflix just hired a new guy to be in charge of seeking out IP and literary properties. I'm like, I could have done that. <laughs> that would have been, I'd be doing that job. We're doing it for free. That's the yeah. sort of service we bring to our listeners. It doesn't stop there. What else are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, get this, Michael, we are focusing <sighs> on the big news oh, in Hollywood. Huge, the, huge, huge. The merger between Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, and RKO Studios. <sighs> Now, of course, of course, we're kidding, you know, because, you know, RKO doesn't exist anymore. Actually, we're still kidding. Those studios aren't all merging. But for a crazy moment, didn't you think maybe they were because, you know, we said it, you know? (laughs) Anyway, we kind of wish that mega merger was taking place because not a lot happened this week. Oh, we've got pandemic news. Don't don't get us wrong, you know. And by the way, we also have some Golden Globes news. And apparently Elon Musk is on the spectrum. Who would have guessed? But, you know, it's really, it's been a quiet week. On Inside Baseball, we'll cover, um, uh, I've got, it's blank. Crickets. I, get, I guess nothing. Nada. Zip. Zero. Zilch. I don't know how you say nothing in any other language. Rien. Anyway, uh, some lovely people died, though, this week. But since we had nothing to offer in terms of insight about their work or lives, Michael will talk to us about the death of Jim Steinman Again, you took if the you, words right out of my mouth. Yeah, unbelievable. I literally want to like call Congress and have them make a law that you can't talk about Jim Steinman on podcasts anymore. I won't. I won't. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines, and by some we mean all of them. And apparently. we've got viewer email. Viewer, yes, viewer, you mean listener? Since let's face it, unless they're standing over us right now. People are listening to us, not watching us. And we have the voice for radio and the faces for, well, radio as well. Yeah. Uh, But first, as always, we're going to turn it over to you, uh, Michael, entertainment journalist extraordinaire, who up until the very last second, you were figuring out 
last week's box office, not just the weekends. You were literally tallying up, counting ticket by ticket, all of the box office for movies around the world. And you know what you found out? Variety isn't always right. <laughs> well, we're looking at box office around the world for the week ending May 9th. We have a link to Comscore in our show notes. They do list their top five, the top movies they have info on in terms of gross. I wish they'd list everything. I don't know why they're not. Um, Variety gave me a headache because they called the film Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong the unbeatable. That's a hell of a translation. Uh, so so maybe it got renamed because of the, the similarity in name to the other movie that's coming out in Asia called Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong. Maybe that happened. I don't know. But when you look at IMDb and Comscore and elsewhere, they're still calling that movie Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong. We also had a movie we didn't track last week called Break Through the Darkness. It's an anti-corruption film. I think it made about 20 plus million this week, but it's at 37 million total. We didn't even mention it last week. So I'm getting a headache. I wish everybody would come back on board, be safe, but for God's sakes, everybody report your grosses, give them to the proper people and let's get back to business. Anyway, the number one movie around the world does have some good news. It's Cliff Walkers, the film by director Zhang Yimou. It's a 1930s thriller. It opened up last week along with My Love, another big Chinese film. That's a romantic comedy. Initially, My Love opened really big and Cliff Walkers made about half as much. But word of mouth for Cliff Walkers has been great. And it's now outpacing that other movie. Cliff Walkers made $80 million this week. It's now at $118 million in counting with a lot more to come. My Love, the Chinese romantic comedy about the 15 years of a relationship and marriage and a young couple who meet in college, that made about $50 million this week. That's nothing to sneeze at. It's at $113 million in counting. So Cliff Walkers, as the week progressed, caught fire. More and more people saw it and liked it. Now it's grossing more than My Love. It's past it in total grosses, and it's accelerating. My Love, I'm sure, has done well. If we knew the budget, we could tell you that. Cliff Walker surely cost more, but they're both doing well. They're both probably profitable. And Cliff Walker's is starting to, to take off like a rocket. Those well, are the you know, I wonder how many how many screens each one of these films has. Not you know, I wonder if anybody in China is tracking that. I'm sure somebody is, but I wonder if well, one reason that my love declined a little bit is because well, they lost let's say a thousand screens or they lost. Well, it, it made screens. fifty million dollars this week. It it's still on a lot of screens. I don't think it lost screen. It lost money because. People wanted to see it, but it wasn't playing on enough screens. It's no. doing great. It's got a huge wide release. Uh, they do not list the territories for it. My Love is in four territories. Cliff Walker's is in five, but they don't list the screen count on Comscore. But they're both on a ton of screens. It's just that Cliff Walker's is proving more popular. We've seen it before during that last New Year's where we had one movie open big, but then... Uh, another movie, you know, took off. Was it Hi Mom? I think maybe. Yes. Something. Yeah, that movie, you know, started to take off during the week. It's just word of mouth. They're both doing well. They're not being constrained by screen count. It's just one movie is is taking off. But you know, fifty million dollars this week. That's fine. That probably made My Love profitable all on its own. So the number one movie around the world is director Zhang Yimou's Cliff Walkers with eighty million dollars. My Love is right behind it with. $50 million. And then there's Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong. Maybe it's been renamed. There are two movies with the same title bouncing around. This week, it made about $18 million. We think it's at $32 million and counting. I should have said at number 
I see, I don't even know how much it grossed this week, but there's this movie called Break Through the Darkness. From what I can gather, it might have made $27 million this week, but I'm so confused. All I know is it's in the mix somewhere, and its total is now $37 million. Right below that is a is a U.S. release that's also in other territories. It's Wrath of Man. That made about $12 million in the last three days. It's at 20 to $25 million worldwide. Again, normally, in the olden days, when we look at Comscore or Variety or the numbers or Wikipedia, everybody is... And once they're updated, they're all on the same page. They're all reporting the same exact numbers. This week, again and again, I would have one number from Comscore, a different total gross from the numbers, and a different total gross from you know one of the trades. It's really head scratching. So we're really in a mess here. We're doing our best. But Rathaman, I think, is making about twenty twenty five million dollars worldwide. Back to China is another film that made about twelve million dollars this week. It's Home Sweet Home that car crash thriller. That's now at $31 million total. It's still making some money, but clearly it's not going to be a huge hit the way My Love and Cliff Walkers are proving to be. Detective Conan, The Scarlet Bullet, that's the Japanese anime film, I think. Uh, That made, uh, I don't know. Uh, Last week, we had it at $4 million for the entire week's gross. This week, it's its total box office now shows maybe it made another $11 million this week, but it didn't open up in any new territories. So there's no reason on God's green earth Detective Conan suddenly tripled its box office in this week. Didn't happen. All we know is it's now making maybe 65 maybe $70 million. What a disaster the chart is this week. But we're naming the movies that are out there, trying to keep you on top of the total grosses. These are at least the movies we know that are out there making money. That's certainly true for Godzilla versus Kong. The Universal Flick made another maybe $8 million. It's at $425 million worldwide, and we'll be talking about it more when we get to our viewer email. Or listener Listener, email. Listener, listener. listener. Demon Slayer the movie, Mugen Train, which Sperling's daughter liked, made another $6 million. That's at $475 million worldwide. Though it looks like in North America, everybody who wanted to see it saw it, and now it's falling pretty quickly. Uh, Mortal Kombat, that's at about $75 million. And The Unholy made another $3 million. That faith-based horror flick is at $25 million and counting. So, you know, we mentioned last week that New York City movie theaters, they can open up again starting in mid-May. You can open up to full capacity. However, everyone must stay six feet apart. (laughs) You're like, wait, what? (laughs) That's not full capacity. So, and what I don't understand is they're having like, you know, vaccinated screenings and, and that, you know, they're like at Dodger Stadium, they're selling tickets for the vaccinated only section. And to which I say, how are you, how are you determining that because of these little cards? Sure. Because I've I've got one of these cards and literally I could have filled it out myself. That's true. You're on your honor system. It's okay. okay. People are honest, you know, and everybody who wants to be vaccinated now can be. But people who don't want to be vaccinated will say, that's stupid. That's a st- I don't want to sit there. They're morons. So, you know, they will self-segregate by saying that's dumb. They don't want to be vaccinated. They don't want to be in the vaccinated section. It'll work out okay. You know, somebody asked me, well, how are they doing this? Because they've lowered the price for tickets in that in that area, which ah. it, it, at Dodger Stadium. Uh, so this is, a, you know, American baseball. Uh, and people have said, well, h- how can they do that? I, I, I was asked, you know, they're going to be making less money in that section on each ticket. Uh, I guess maybe they're doing that as a, a gesture of goodwill to try and get people to get vaccinated. They and want I said, people well, to show up at the stadium. People aren't right. rushing to go back to things. Yeah. 
Well, and well, they've been selling out, uh, selling out what they can. Of course, uh, it, you know, the Dodger game over the weekend, 15,000 people was a sellout because that's all they were allowed to let into a stadium. However, in the vaccinated section, they no longer have to worry about, you know, six feet apart and they don't have to right. worry about that. So all of a sudden it's like, yes, well, we're making less money, but we're making less money on more tickets. So. Exactly. Speaking of making less money on more tickets, that's the case for Cinemark. Uh, that theater chain lost $208 million last quarter. One year ago in the same quarter, it lost $60 million. However, they did agree to a new deal with all the major studios. The details were unknown in the trades, but Sperling, you've got your pulse on the industry. Do you know anything? They say the details are slightly different for every studio. It's not the same deal for everybody. So this person has this window. That person has that window. Are we still waiting to find out what the details are? And will we be shocked or will they be pretty much what we've been having going on for the last few months? I think uh, it, a, it doesn't shock me that there are different details for each studio. You know, that's well, welcome but, to but, the industry. But that's new, isn't it? I mean, typically they're all kind of the same, basically. You know, the 90-day window was the same. Yes, Disney with a big movie would get more money, but basically they were all operating off the same playbook. Or, this or is Dis new that one person would have a 17-day window and somebody else would have a 45-day window and somebody else would have a window that changes based on the opening weekend. These are all new things. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we'll see what happens as time goes on. I think that, uh, you know, well, and we have a, something in Big Deal, Big Whoop, to kind of touch on this. I think part of the problem uh, that you're going to have is, and I don't think, by the way, I had A, I'm not surprised. B, I don't know that we'll ever know what the details are. I think that they mentioned it as a That's way That's your to say, job. That's your job. I think, well, yeah, again, they don't talk about. <laughs> they don't talk about terms for a reason because it's there. There are issues with antitrust, and but we you know. knew all. But there's no there's no antitrust involved if one studio and a, and, a, and a theater chain announced what their deal was. They're allowed to say what their window is. That wouldn't be an antitrust issue. If Universal said they're no, all announcing be, loudly what their windows are, so yeah, I think uh, the Universal thing at, at at 17 days is is really way too short. And frankly, I think 30 days is too short. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, so we don't have any info yet. Similarly, AMC said they lost half a billion dollars in the last quarter, but guess what? Whereas Cinemark almost more than tripled its losses, AMC cut them by almost 75% because while they lost $567 million last quarter, one year earlier for various write-offs and other reasons, they lost $2.2 billion in the same quarter. But they do have good news. They are hiring some 10,000 people in the next few weeks. That's their goal. They want to hire a lot of people and bring them back to work. So if you have a restaurant and you say, I can't hire anybody, I'm having trouble hiring people, there's lots of complicated reasons for that. But the big reason probably is not that they're sitting on their ass at home collecting unemployment checks. Number one, people in restaurants often get like $3 an hour plus tips. <laughs> Would you rather work safely at a movie theater or at a restaurant, which has been determined by the experts as one of the least safe industries you can work in, other than like a hospital or a senior center, working at a restaurant is one of the high risk areas when you're looking at a pandemic. So, you know, you're going to take that $3 an hour plus tips when they're at half capacity, or you're going to go get a flat rate at AMC. Me, I would choose AMC. Secondly, if you had a job and your restaurant offers you that job back, you don't get unemployment benefits anymore anyway. And C, 
a majority, over 50% of the people who work in the restaurant industry who were laid off did not qualify for unemployment checks because they didn't make enough money in the first place to qualify. Yes, that means they were getting money under the table, not reporting their tips and stuff like that. But the fact is, most people who were laid off couldn't claim unemployment in the restaurant industry. Those waiters and waitresses, the wait staff, could not claim unemployment checks in the first place. So no, you are actually in a market where there's tons of companies trying to hire people. So you're competing with AMC and other people offering maybe $13 an hour, maybe $15 an hour. Not to mention the fact that schools are still on this crazy one week on, one week off system in a a lot of parts of the country. So if you've got a kid, you can't go back to work anyway, because what are you going to do with your child during the day? So there's lots of complicated reasons, but it's good to see AMC is hiring people back And I like Michael Schneider's variety of a way to prop up movie theaters. Did you read this? I dissed them a minute ago for their box office gross reporting. But like, I like this column. And he said, next year, you know what we should do for the Oscars? Hold them at grand movie theater palaces all over the country. Every category in a different venue, like at the Cinerama Dome or at the, you know, cool places all over the country and make the stars go there. For like best supporting actor, they would be in maybe New York. Uh, Best actress might be in Chicago or whatever it might be. Find a great venue. Then you can have fans in the audience. You can have the stars on stage. You would bring so much excitement to all these different cities all over the country. You want fans to come back to the movie theater? Why don't you go to the fans? I'm sure it won't happen, but it's a cool idea, I think. A great way to say, you know what? We dropped the ball last year and didn't promote movie going. Let's really do it by celebrating all these great venues all over the country. I'm sure the people you write about and write for would love it, Sperling. Oh, yes, they would absolutely would love it. Now, what I would tell you is that, uh, you know, part of the Oscars is seeing everybody in one place in one room. I don't think that's, so. I don't think so at all. It's not. It's seeing them on stage. I don't give a damn to see somebody 20 rows away from someone else. That doesn't excite me at all. It's, so not like the globe, it's not like the Globes where they're all tipsy and hanging out like a party. They're just sitting in chairs. I don't think there's any excitement in seeing 10 rows behind, you know, Brad Pitt is Brian Tyree Henry. That that does not excite me. Yeah, I think, uh, well, but we'll see what happens. It's not about the stars. It's about, it's about the fans, you know. And it's about Watch, the, the yeah. TV uh, ratings, which were horrible this year. Well, but for lots of complicated reasons, of course. Yes. It's, the, oh, it's yeah. the pandemic, isn't it? What's happening with the pandemic? The Berlin Film Festival said they're going to happen in June. They're going to have the Berlin Film Festival outdoors. And does anybody care? Well, it was the summer edition because remember, Berlin happened virtually Mm -hmm. in February. That did happen. Right. And then they said, but we're also going to have this summer edition. So we're going to kind of break it up into two. And people were like, yeah, Berlin, listen, you get one per year. You had your one. It was in February. <laughs> We're not talking to you anymore uh, because that's when the European film market was, of course, which is in conjunction with Berlin. And you've got uh, Cannes coming up in July. We'll see if that still happens. It looks like it's going to go ahead. It looks like there is no way that they are not going to do this in July. Now, how many people show up? Who knows? Right. And for Berlin, perhaps it's a tourism thing. They're not expecting the industry to show up. Are they going to have lots of outdoor events? They're going to be outdoor cinema venues. Maybe it's a thing to just people out of the house, get people to go out into the world and, and get people maybe to go to Berlin and go to an outdoor film festival. Maybe that's the idea. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's actually not a bad idea. Well, it's happening and it's happening in June. And of course, film and TV are back to work. There's some confusion about the return to work protocols. Right now, you're not required to have a vaccination for the film and TV industry. Why? Because we're still in the midst of the current agreement. When the current agreement was made, 
you couldn't get a vaccination. Really, most people couldn't. That expires in June. So now when we do a new agreement, of course, in the months ahead, when they do a new agreement and look at it in June and say, okay, what's the protocols going to be going forward? Maybe they will require it on film and TV sets, but we're not there yet. Now, of course, you can walk up pretty much in any state in the country and get a vaccination like that. So for God's sakes, if you haven't done it, get it. I'm at 10, I'm at two weeks right now. I had my second vaccination. Today is my two week holiday. I now have superpowers. You are you at two weeks yet, Sperling? Oh gosh, yes, I'm at uh, like four weeks. But what I will tell you is that uh, you know I am one of the lucky people because I listened to Tucker Carlson and he said I could die from getting the vaccine. But you, but you already got it, so it was too late for you. N- no, you I could, I could die from getting it. Right, I understand, but you already got it, so. Yeah, so I guess ones. I'm one of the lucky ones that that uh, that made it oh, through getting die. the vaccine. Oh, I see. That's I right. I didn't die. Yeah, because you know, and he started. I don't understand how him spouting all of this like anti-vax stuff is. It, it just boggles my mind how it's it's legal, even. Well, it's free speech, you know. People yeah, can say well, people say don't get a smallpox vaccination, don't get your kids vaccinated. Well, well, Why well, do they mix all three vaccinations together? You know, if you try to explain, it's yeah. well. There are other countries that have that have looked at Fox News and said you're not putting out a good product. You are literally, you know, spreading misinformation and lies. In Australia, there are there's a major committee set up. Two former heads of the country came together from both parties, a conservative and liberal, and said. You know, Rupert Murdoch and his empire are poisoning our country, and we need to do something about it. There's a serious move in Australia to actually deplatform Fox News and the media companies that he, he controls like 80% of the newspapers in Australia. You know, no one should have, even somebody I love, I should not have that much power. That's just way too much media concentration, not to mention the fact that he's spreading lies and misinformation to help his business empire. So there's a real move in Australia by both sides of the aisle to do something about that. You should not have media concentration. You shouldn't have all these movie studios owning each other. You shouldn't have Penguin Random House buying Simon and Schuster. You're going to have like two publishers left. That's not good. I don't care. Liberal, that is just not good. I like what Penguin Random House and Simon Schuster publish, you know, so it's not like they're going to do stuff I don't like in general, but I don't want them owning everything. It's just not healthy. Well, well, to give you some sense of, of to where the United States is, uh, at least in, in our mentality, uh, Snapple, the, the soft drink or in the, 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 the beverage drink. company. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were trending on Twitter earlier today. And so I went to, I was like, what, why are they trending? And there well, were all of these con- you know, like conservative, like conspiracy theorists, like all up in arms. And it's because somebody posted a picture of the underside of a Snapple cap. You know, they sometimes have fun facts right. like pandas sleep 12 hours a day or whatever. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, so uh, real fact, number 74,222,958 is uh, Trump lost and the Uh-oh. election was oh. not stolen. Now, oh. Oh. it's a picture of that bottle cap, which is clearly Photoshopped. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) and all of these people are like, I'm never boycott Snapple. I'm never. I'm like, you know what, guys? This is why you all believe the election was stolen because you fall for anything anyone says. Oh dear me! Why we gotten we gotten so political? My goodness. 
Well, that's not political. It's like, guys, come on. You can't look at that picture and see that it's photoshopped. It's obviously photoshopped. And yet you're all arguing over boy. Seriously. Anyway, you're vaccinated. (laughs) You're a superhero. I am indeed. By the way, pandas can poop up to 40 times a day. I was trying to find out how often they sleep and they eat bamboo for 12 hours a day, but I haven't found out yet. Maybe they just eat bamboo and then sleep immediately, but I haven't found out how much they sleep in the day, but we don't think it's 12 hours. So we apologize for that misinformation. <laughs> By the way, I- I'm just looking at Twitter now. Uh-huh. Uh, and somebody why? says- To which I would say, why? You're like, you're looking at what's <laughs> trending on Twitter. Why in God's green earth would you do that? <laughs> oh, it's that- great when the Dodgers are on their losing streak as they are right now to all see right. all the flat, but, but- Somebody pointed out that 74,222,958, okay, that was the real yeah. fact number seven. Guess what? That's the number of votes the former guy got. Right. <laughs> and and, and, and 80, 82 million for, for, for Biden. Yeah, I just, I didn't realize something that. Like that. Yeah, but, no, he got, you know, he got the most votes ever for the losing candidate because our country keeps growing in population. Anyway, looking at social justice. Here's an interesting twist. We talked last week about British actor Noel Clark and uh, the fallout from a number of women bravely coming forward and saying this man has mistreated us in numerous ways uh, for a number of years now. Well, it turns out while he has been facing a firestorm and been every project he's involved in seems to be put on hold or dealt with in some way, shape or form, his agent has lost his job. So here's what happened. Uh, first, the agency, 42MMP, the management company, cut ties with Noel Clark. Then a few days later, it cut ties with who was now his former agent. He wasn't his agent anymore because they dumped Noel Clark, but they then said, you know what? We're not happy with you either. And they fired him. Presumably a fallout of like, he should have known or he did know or who knows what. We don't know the story behind that, but that's a warning sign to agents and managers. You could pay a price too if you look the other way, if your client is abusive and misbehaving in ways that are potentially criminal and certainly unwelcome in any good workplace environment. That's kind of a kind of a surprise. I don't know if I've ever heard about like, you know, Kevin Spacey's agent being fired, you know, <laughs> but if he knew something, I can see why that might happen. Yes, and if you do know something, why not write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Call. Leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter, even though Michael isn't, and our handle on Twitter is at showbizsandbox. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. And by the way, if you're following us on Twitter, you would have been one of the first to know <gasps> about one of our big deal or big whoop stories Woo! this week. How okay. do you like that for that, a segue? That's a nice segue. Yeah, you know, uh, apparently when we don't have a lot of news, we get more political. And they're like, yeah, you get too political as it is. But anyway, yeah. we're looking at, a, we're going to have a viewer email about streaming in a way. And uh, that comes up with our TV streaming segment where we look at Nielsen's report on the most popular properties in streaming on the big four that they have access to, which is Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, and Netflix. Uh, what's not mentioned there, of course, is Paramount Plus. They just you know, launched with their mountain of movies. I like that. That's a very catchy idea. You don't want to forget the TV shows as well. So I'm not sure how that works, but mountain of movies, that's easy to understand. The Paramount Mountain logo, they got a mountain of movies, tons of movies to watch. Well, Paramount Plus just hit 36 million paid subscribers worldwide. They also announced they plan one original movie a week debuting on their service in 2022. In other words, 
everything old is new again. They're bringing back the movie of the week, <laughs> just like Netflix did. Used to have that, the Sunday movie of the week, the Tuesday movie of the week in prime time on CBS, on ABC, on NBC, back when we had three networks. And now the movie of the week is back in vogue again. It's a selling point for streamers. So that's interesting, but we're looking at a combined chart. And normally this is where I say the combined chart is courtesy of me. But this week, it's courtesy of Variety. This week, when I looked at the Variety chart, they actually combined all the stuff into a combined chart. Maybe Nielsen did it, but Variety was the place where I saw it all brought together. And not one property topped 1 billion minutes last week. You know, They look at whether it's a movie or a TV show like Grey's Anatomy, the total number of minutes viewed. So if you watch 10 minutes of one episode of Grey's, that counts for 10 minutes. If you binge an entire season, of course, they add up all those minutes. In this case, the number one movie, the number one property in streaming on those services is a movie. It's an original film called Thunder Force, starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. It was watched 950 million minutes. So a lot of watching of that movie. You take the time of the movie, you divide it in that total number of minutes, assuming people didn't watch it twice, and you're looking at a lot of views of that movie. So that's Let me not- tell you something about that movie. Please do. It Nobody looks- is watching it twice. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't watch it, so don't say that. I I watched half of it. You did? Why? Yes. Because my kids were watching it. And I was like halfway through. I was like, yeah, I'm done. Oh, okay. Was it Tag, good? I'm out. It was pretty dumb. Did they like it? <laughs> yeah. uh, They're not no. rushing to watch it again. No. But they did watch all of it? Yes. There you go. Well, that's success, says Netflix. That was an original movie from Netflix. At number two is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, this Disney Plus original series. They only have four episodes out, and it keeps building. So this week, 750 million minutes were watched. That's just going to keep growing by the time they get to the end of the season. Another good reason. You don't always want to drop every episode at the same time. That's Netflix's thing. It makes sense sometimes. But as with HBO, somebody said HBO Max, they just dropped the Underground Railroad. And people said, this is a heavy series, you know, all 10 episodes at once. Not really something you want to binge. You really would have kept the conversation going and give us, you know, they're like 90 minute, 80 minutes, 70 minutes long each episode. Kind of good idea to let people breathe and catch their breath and absorb it one week at a time when you've done something that big and that heavy. So, you know, it's a lot of debate and it just depends on the property and, of course, the service because Netflix says, baby, we're dropping them all all at the same time. Thunder Force was number one. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier was number two. There's only one other original series in the top 10 overall, and that is Them, the uh, horror anthology. or I don't know if it's an anthology series, but it's a horror series on Amazon that was watched 440 million minutes and it was hugely popular among communities of people of color. That household, it was like number one with a bullet, really doing tremendously well. But those are all the original series in the top 10. Other than that, you've got NCIS, Grey's Anatomy, which just got renewed for another season. Ellen Pompeo made up her mind and said, yes. Criminal Minds, Coco Melon, Schitt's Creek, The Serpent, Heartland, all that stuff is hugely popular. And people are watching it all the time. Acquired content matters, but licensing content, that's what made HBO. That's what made TNT and TBS and TV Land and Nickelodeon. Now, you know, it works. It's still a big, important part of the mix. And when you look at the top 10 movies, you can see there's a lot of room for growth there. Thunder Force was huge. Way below that was What Lies Below, a movie I couldn't even figure out what it was. And then Concrete Cowboy, which is definitely a Netflix original. But then Saving Private Ryan is on there, Legally Blonde. 
the Little Rascals, which I'm not even sure which mo- property that is exactly. It's a movie, so I don't know if it's the 1994 or 1995 movie or what's going on. Why those suddenly popped up, I don't know. But just like with you know uh, Gilmore Girls, that's in the acquired top ten because you know Netflix is having good success with Ginny and Georgia, and then they're sending those viewers back to Gilmore Girls. You look at the movie top ten for some reason. If they start promoting Legally Blonde, people go, "Yeah, I want to watch that again." Little Rascals, that's a fun movie. I don't know why that would pop up, but it is. So it's interesting stuff when you look in at the charts. But of course, they don't have access to everything. Uh, They do have access to the big four, Amazon, Disney, Hulu, and Netflix. And we can't wait for Paramount Plus, HBO Max, and the rest to come on board. When they do, that'll be a really big deal. Okay, so so I segued into Big Deal or Big Whoop. You segued us back. You like you literally had a detour segue ah. into streaming, and now you've thrown it back to me, and we're now talking about big deals and big whoops. And Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines and entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story. Okay, so the Hollywood Foreign Press Association made what it saw as a huge, a major, this was the biggest announcement of the year. They would hire an executive to push for diversity by September. Now, here was my question. Were they hiring the- The, the exec, the, exe- the deadline to September? hire them. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, okay. my poor wording on my part. Okay, well, the roughly 90-member organization would strive to hire 20 new members soon. First of all, are they hiring them or just, you know, Oh, I'm sorry, them? inviting them to be there, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they're going to focus, of course, on people of color, black people, and, you know, uh, black and brown people, people of color. And then they'd strive to increase membership by 45 members total, really soon, like, you know, soon. We won't tell you when, but kind of soon. And they're going to get rid of that requirement that you live in L.A., and um, they're going to take a look at all the payments that members get for sitting on committees. Whoo! NBC quickly applauded its partner in the Golden Globes. Everyone else? Not nice try, they said. Netflix, Warner Media, major publicists, and pretty much everyone else paid. Well, they said they weren't even considering working with, with these people anymore. Uh, and by these people, they mean the Globes until major serious reforms happen. Vague plans for the future, like hiring an executive before the end of the year. That's just not enough. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, it's a big whoop. You know, the Golden Globes isn't really an important organization. It's an annual TV show. I don't really care what they do. And Hollywood is just feeling good about itself. They can beat up on the Golden Globes. Those people actually have no power. It's not really an important part of the award season, really, when you think about it. They're not really important in any way, shape, or form. It's just a TV show that 90 people lucked into with this $60 million a year thing from NBC, and they can be pushed around because they don't really have any power. They are totally dependent on Hollywood. So, you know, everyone can feel good about dissing them. Yeah, let's Golden Globes. They should. They shouldn't work with them until they have better diversity. That's good. They are, I suppose, visible, so it matters. But you know what? They're so weak and they have so little power that pushing back against them, say, yeah, they're not doing a good enough job. Yeah, how about yourselves? How about everybody do a better job? Because believe me, Hollywood in general doesn't do a good job in this area. So yes, it's good that they're beating up on the Golden Globes, but not a surprise because that organization in general is very weak. Well, and you don't have to live in L.A., how about you live in the, you know, the whole point is that it's the Hollywood foreign press. So you actually have to pick a place, okay? It can't just be the world. Otherwise, you'd have to, like, you know, have have journalists from Mars on. You know, it's just, I don't know. Anyway, 
uh, you know, you could learn all of that about the difference. Well, they want between- people to be in LA who write for an international outlet, like a right. newspaper or magazine. That was the idea. But now they're saying, yeah, maybe that's a little outdated requirement, especially if it's yeah. keeping us from being more diverse. Well, you know what? Libraries are around the world. They face a significant long-term decline in patrons. And no, by the way, this isn't about COVID. This is a long-term decline in users, and it's been going on for at least a decade. Tim Coates is a major publishing figure in the United Kingdom. He used to be a top dog at the chain Waterstones, and he's an advocate for public libraries. But he also thinks libraries do a terrible job of tracking users and usage. His 2021 report is the latest snapshot of the decline that he sees. In the United States, the usage of public libraries dropped more than 30% from 2010 to 2018. In Australia, well, it's fallen 22%. And in the United Kingdom, an almost unimaginable 70%. I want to see the numbers. I think there needs to be a recount. Anyway, the reasons are many. When you cut funding for libraries, apparently they have fewer hours and therefore people go less often and fall out of the habit of going to the libraries in the first place. Also, guess what? Ebooks. Remember those th- little I things? Do. Yeah, they're so expensive that in many cases of less popular titles, it would be cheaper for libraries to buy a single ebook for a customer rather than buy an ebook for the library system <laughs> like itself. Like you say, I, I want this book. And they're like, yeah, okay, here it is. <laughs> you own yeah. it. Enjoy you own it. It's don't, don't bring it back. Spend- Better than yeah. sending $70 to get a copy on the shelf that expires in a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the more money libraries spend on ebooks, the less money they have for the hugely popular print books. You know, those things. The very reason most people go to the libraries in the first place is for the print books. Anyway, big deal or big whoop? Well, I think it's a big deal. I'd love to have Tim Coates on the show. If you're listening, Tim, come on board. Uh, he points out that libraries buy a lot of books, but not nearly enough to be on equal footing with publishers. They're one of the biggest, you know, bulk buyers of books in the country, but they still are not treated that seriously by publishers and they don't have enough weight to throw it around and demand be treated like an equal. So they have to realize they are coming to publishers hat in hand. Also, they don't get good statistics. They ignore problems. They lean on sentiment and anecdotes. He goes on and on. I wanted to talk about this because we've spoken before about how libraries pivoted, how they're really doing a great job digitally. They did a great job during the pandemic and they did and they do. They're trying to be community centers. So I've been hearing these stories about libraries and how important they are. And I believe that, uh, but they're not well-funded. And they're not doing a good job of tracking usage. And they're really kind of messing themselves up with ebooks through no fault of their own. Readers like me say, I want ebooks and I get them all the time, but I don't even have to go into the library. And when they provide that service, that's less people walking in the door. And guess what? Ebooks are so expensive, they're not buying all the other stuff that really keeps people at the library. So it ain't easy. But his pointing out that usage is actually way down even before the pandemic and they're not doing good numbers and they're not tracking stuff. That's kind of a cold splash of water in the face for me. I, I did not have that as the story in my head, and I got to keep looking at that and see how much uh, validity there is behind this, but it's certainly sobering. You know, and for those who are uh, going to write in, I know we're going to get uh, an email or two that says, hey, they're not supposed to track, you know, what you're reading. And, and no, yes, no, they don't it, keep permanent record. We're not talking about keeping a permanent record of what Michael no, Gilt's like, read. <laughs> Of no, 10 not. people showed up and Michael Giltz uh, had 10 books out last year. It doesn't no. matter what books they were, 10 right, books. Right, right, right. But yeah. it doesn't mean Michael Giltz, just members, you know, what age, members. Sure, you want generic tracking of of usage. You want to know what yeah. areas of the library are popular. Are the meeting rooms hugely popular? Is Are the people coming there for the computer access? Because they still got lots of tables with computer stuff on them. And I think that's outdated. 
get rid of most of those. People bring their own laptops. How many people need to go there? You know, I know there some terminals are needed, but with cell phones, a lot of people don't need that the way they probably did before. I see a lot of those terminals sitting empty most of the time. That's just in my local library where people are affluent. Now, in other neighborhoods where people are poor, those portals will probably be a lot more valuable, but it just depends on the library and the location. But that's the sort of thing we're talking about for sure. And, you know, when you have affluent, there's a vaccine for that now. Affluent vaccine. There you go. That's pretty good. Yeah. Hey, I've been telling all week. Anyway, you know, that's kind of a vaudevillian joke. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, Well, if I was on, you know, on the vaudeville circuit, I'd be in theater. And guess what? Theater is back, baby. London's West End is coming to life this summer. And in a wave of announcements, Broadway will be coming back to life in the fall. Long running hits like Chicago come from away and Phantom. And that's, by the way, Phantom of the Opera. I'm not on a first name basis with the Phantom. Uh, They're returning starting in September. New ish shows like Mrs. Doubtfire and Company and Six, they will be on the boards by December. The City of London, for its part, with the London Mayor Sadiq Khan announcing a massive citywide initiative to promote tourism, not to be outdone, New York City is offering free vaccinations to tourists at major tourist sites. They get the Johnson and Johnson jab. So one visit and they're done. They'll never come back. Get the shot. And you're like, eh, New York, don't need it. Anyway, big deal or big whoop. Uh, it's a big deal, of course, whether they're opening up too soon or not is for others to say, though I have my doubts. Seems a little too quick for me, though. Maybe by December, if we can get a lot more people vaccinated, it's great to hear. Um, you know, I hope so. The Young Vic in London said that they will be live streaming all future productions. Not everything is going to go back to the way it was. They can't see not live streaming their performances, at least, you know, give one performance, let people see it. You don't have to be in the theater, less expensive access, have that archive forever. They see themselves doing that from now until the end of time. I think that makes sense. I don't think you're hurting yourself by providing that. Nobody who loves theater will watch a live stream and say, I don't have to go. You know, it's like, it doesn't work like that. Of course, if the show's not good, they're not going to go, but they're not sampling the live stream to decide whether to go. It can only help and provide access to people who can't go there. They can't afford it or they're not physically capable and so on. However, theater's coming back. Touring is also coming back, but it ain't easy. Look at Cirque du Soleil. They fired 95% of their workforce, basically the people who put on the shows, 4,700 people all laid off about 400 days ago. Sorry. Now, over a year later, a year and a month later, now they want them back, right? People have been trapped at home. They've been unable to practice, stay as fit. The New York Times had a story about the challenges they face. But the bigger challenge is saying, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a business where you're just a hired freelancer. You know, whether it's a Broadway show or Cirque du Soleil, you may have been working for years, but as soon as the money wasn't coming in, you were dumped. And now a year later, they want you back again. It's not so easy to put that back together again, is it? No, and especially since, uh, you know, if any one of the, they, they probably all got the COVID-19, and by 19, I mean 19 pounds, and it's really hard <laughs> to uh, to lift those people once they're 19 pounds. Uh, I, I got the COVID-10, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you were talking about the, the young uh, the young Vic. Uh, yeah, I guess it is the young Vic in London. Uh, my suggestion would be what they do is they, they record the productions and live stream them, but not in real time, meaning record this particular production, and then when the next production is on, live stream it in other words or not live stream it stream it in other words put it out there but with a delay so that you know you'll still get it well that's that's important what you're doing of course right yeah 
Oh yeah. So there's a bit of a, a what's the best way way to yeah, say they're, they're not a showing every they're not showing every performance every night as it happens. They don't. I don't think yeah, anybody yeah. did that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Then build up a yeah. library of stuff. Yeah. It's not like yeah. filming it properly for whatever, but it's good. Yeah. I was just you know anyway. Uh, I'm just was just talking. You want to have wind- a window between when the actual live theatrical performance is happening and its availability on on streaming platforms, which is sort of part your 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 bailiwick in terms of movie theaters, isn't it? Yes, and in fact, it's the bailiwick now of most people in this business, including Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, because they're saying not so fast with those short windows. That's right. Both of them, the both actors, and of course, he's, he directs and wrote it. They're the creators and stars behind the suspense flick, A Quiet Place, and now A Quiet Place 2. They are pushing back against Paramount, the studio that is releasing it, because the studio shortened the film's theatrical window from 90 days down to 45 days, and it's opening the film when theaters are still facing capacity restrictions. So fewer days in movie theaters, a looming digital release and lower capacity, that's all going to impact the money they make. And their compensation is tied into the film's gross. So Paramount wants to boost its new streaming service, Paramount Plus. Krasinski and Blunt? Yeah, not so much. They don't care. They've asked for more money up front, but Paramount said, uh, let's see, the guidelines say, no, no, we're not going to give you that, okay? So big deal or big whoop? Well, it's a big whoop, I think. You know, they will come to some terms. They have to keep the actors happy. They know that they're screwing them over in terms of the total box office gross of the movie. Uh, and the actors understand why they're doing it, but they're saying, but we don't want to suffer for it. <laughs> you know, we gave you this huge property. Now we got a sequel. The original film made 20, cost $20 million and grossed about $340 million worldwide. Wowza. <laughs> I doubt the sequel costs a lot because they said, hey, let's keep the cost low, but we'll give you a big cut of, you know, gross participation. When it hits 200 million or 300 million or 400 million, you get more money. They said, okay. And now they said, oh, by the way, we're putting it on Paramount. <laughs> so they're going to have to come to terms. These are stars with a valuable property, or they're going to pay a gazillion dollars for A Quiet Place Part 3, aren't they? You know? Yeah, because that's how this will be taken out, is it's like, you know, oh, uh, well, first of all, this is an issue happening all over town with all different studios that, that right. are doing this. So it's not just Paramount. That's why I, I think it's a big deal, but it's one that everybody's dealing with, and they all have to work this out. Correct. And I think that what's going to wind up happening is, oh, you want John Krasinski for your uh, Paramount Plus show? Okay, well, he normally would have made $32,000 an episode. Now he's going to make $55,000 an episode. You know, (laughs) it'll just be, you know, taken out somewhere else. That's right. So do you think it's a big deal or I mean, do you, you, everyone's oh, it's, it's dealing a big with deal. It. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things. It's a big deal because it's systemic and they're going to have to figure out how to move forward on a, on an and ongoing basis. And it's a short term issue because God willing, six months or a year from now, we won't have theaters unlimited capacity and we won't have these strangled wide releases. We will have the issue of, is it going on your streaming platform? But that will be discussed before the deal is made. Because that Correct. new question of like, well, when are you planning? How long is it in theaters? When is it going on? How is that going to impact the gross? And how much money do I get for that reason? Hmm. Yeah. And anybody that uh, anybody that decides that they're going to negotiate their salary on performance bumps at this point yeah. is foolish. Well, that, that's, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. gone out the window. That's true. Uh, sharp-eared listeners of our podcast have probably realized I'm a confirmed bachelor. So this obituary didn't hit me hard, but 
as she's being tagged, video vixen Tawny Katane died at the age of 59. She was on the cover of albums by the heavy metal band Rat and dated one of the guys. Then she was in music videos for Rat and then Whitesnake, very famously. Some hugely popular videos for Whitesnake that made them a big multi-platinum act. Then she dated the lead singer. Then she married a baseball pair. And best of all, she starred in Bachelor Party. I think she was the fiance of Tom Hanks in that comedy that is surprisingly more funny than you think it should be. It really is better than it should be. It's, it's a dumb movie, but he's so appealing in it that it somehow has this goofy charm that papers over all the 80s idiocy of the movie. And her role is, you know, it's by far her most important acting role. But I have to admit, it didn't hit me hard. But Sperling was Tawny Katane. Did she loom large in your childhood? Not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you're not a confirmed bachelor. No, but still, I, you know, I like I, I was surprised, uh, you know, I was like, wow, okay. So, yeah, I hadn't thought of her in uh, decades. But in I fact. knew who she was. I knew or that ever, name. Really. I knew that name because of Whitesnake. Yes. You know, yeah, she was, people became popular and famous just for appearing in music videos. Courtney Cox was not famous for it, but she was plucked out of the audience, you know, intentionally for the video for Dancing in the Dark. And she danced with Bruce Springsteen in that video. That was one of her early breaks. There's cute yeah. little Courtney Cox dancing with Bruce Springsteen before she was Courtney Cox. So, and you know, now, that, of course, every time he sings that song on stage, he's got to pull somebody up. <laughs> that's he did for a while. I don't think he does that anymore. He uh, does, he might, but it's usually little kids because, well, like, the, the parents are bringing their kids now. So and it's he's usually, older, and it's not so cute. <laughs> it's not cute yeah. to be in your sixties or seventies and dancing with the hot young woman. You know. Not yeah. so, not so adorable anymore. But a little child, that's sweet. Yeah, so that's that's cool to see. Yes, we're objectifying Tawny Katane. She was, you know, but men and women have become famous and popular for their looks since the dawn of time. And I'm very happy we live in a world where men get objectified too. They can appear in a music video or a TV commercial drinking Diet Coke with their shirt off and become famous for that silly reason as well. Whether that's good or bad is for others to decide, but at least it's happening to all genders. But we do Yes, have- and I am available to star in your Pepsi commercial with my shirt off. Oh, I would pay. I would pay for that. that- <laughs> See? Come on, Pepsi. Yeah, we already have one paying customer. If you can't get Kevin James, Sperling is available. That's true. Or Old Spice. You know, he, there's that guy. He's like, I'm riding a horse. And he's like all buff and riding a horse. And come on, people. So we got an e- listener email from a longtime listener, James Gardner. We appreciate him writing in. Um, digital, I'm not sure which company to mention. Finishing Room, Club Movie, Cinetech Geek. Uh, well, he is the the original Cinetech Geek, and he is with Digital. And he, of course, he's also with the Finishing Room and Club Movie. Great. Okay. There? Well, he yeah. wrote into us and he said, hello, Michael Sperling. This week, I have a comment for you, Michael. He says, Godzilla's not making as much money as it could have. Get over Which it. Which we've said. We've said that. But he's like, but right? get over it. He says, your constant comment that they are making less money, this would be universal, than if they did a theatrical-only release is simply not the optics you should be pushing or focusing on. It's not objectively true. He says, Universal's parent company is likely holding strong in the stock market due to this decision, to the behavior of how they've been treating Kong versus Godzilla. So in real terms, the profit and share price due to this loss in movie theaters and potential revenue, would be considered very worthwhile by the directors of the company. Their fiduciary duty is to maintain investor value, and that's exactly what they are doing. He says, personally, my worry is Disney stays with day-of-date release streaming even after COVID due to those same reasons. Disney seems to be behaving more like Netflix than a traditional media company in the cinema industry. 
regards James Gardner. So he makes a great point. We talk about box office and we said repeated, look, you know, Godzilla versus Kong is not making the money it could have if it was a full theatrical release, not day and date, and not in a time when there's limited capacity in the theaters. Our point was not about stock price, so he makes a good point. Companies have a much bigger vision than just each individual movie. They're looking at the company's health overall and their stock price. That is their you know, North Star. <laughs> that is the thing that matters most. And they are doing the best job they can for their stock price because they believe pivoting to streaming like Disney has done or keeping movies going, coming out and visible, but also doing day and date like Warner Brothers done is the best thing for their company long term. We're saying, in part, you're absolutely right, of course, that's true. But we don't want people drawing conclusions about the popularity of movies or the, the hit to box office you're going to take if you open up your movie day and date when it's available on streaming. Right now, I think Godzilla vs. Kong made more money than it would have otherwise because it's a pandemic. If it was a, a year from now or two years from now and it was available day and date on home video and streaming, I think a lot fewer people would be going to the theater. But they were so desperate to see a movie, so happy to get out of the house, they're willing to go out and see anything. Godzilla vs. Kong, great, bring it on. So it might have made more money than it would have otherwise. So you're right. And Disney did a great job of this, right? Theme parks were shut down. Movie theaters were shut down. All their revenue was, their cruise ships were collapsing. There was no money anywhere. But hell, they announced Mulan going to Disney Plus and investors said, woohoo. And they shot Disney's price up to, you know, record levels. And it was like, good God, people. <laughs> like, do you not care about anything except Disney Plus? And the answer is no, they don't, do they? Well, here's the thing. Yeah, no, they don't. Not right now. Uh, right. What? You know, I think this is very short term thinking. And yes. if your stock price goes up by three or four dollars and you make a hundred million dollars in, in, in your market cap, that's great. Okay. It's great. But the problem is the next day your stock price could fall by three dollars and you could lose a hundred million dollars in your market cap. There's well, one the, thing well, that that's people day can't take away from you. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing people can't take. If your movie makes a hundred million dollars, they can't take that away. Okay. Because that's actually revenue earned. Right. We're, now, worried, we're worried about the $50 billion a year that studios are grossing worldwide. That is what we're worried about them putting in danger by rushing to do day and date and pretending that during this extraordinary time that they're going to draw conclusions. Oh, see, it's fine. You can make money in the movie. People don't care. They're happy to go to the... It's like, no, no. Let's not draw a lot of conclusions from this weird time. Five years from now, do you really want to undercut your theatrical box office and risk that $50 billion revenue that lets you make a $300 million movie, make all your money back, including a big profit at the box office when you're lucky, and then put it on your streaming service and have people go, I love seeing that Avengers movie. You know, Disney has Avengers Endgame. They also made, what, $3 billion at the box office or $2.7 billion for Avengers Endgame Part 2 or whatever. They could have gone it straight to Disney Plus and they'd have a really big movie on Disney Plus. You know, at some point, Maybe you want that extra, you know, billion dollars in gross coming in from the movie theaters and rushing to decide that in this weird time, you can draw too many conclusions from box office performance and day and date releases with stuff on streaming or 17 days later. I don't think you can draw big conclusions from that, but he's right. Universal cares more about their stock price than any individual movie. They care more about their stock price than movie theaters. I guess Disney is saying, you know what? If all theaters go away and never exist again, maybe we can make just as much money being the Netflix for families, you know? Maybe they think 
We don't need theaters anymore. Never mind that we had 40% of that total box office. We were pulling in tens of billions of dollars, literally. We're happy to just have Disney Plus and have people paying us directly. Maybe that's the decision they're making. That's a scary one. I don't see the reason to make it when you don't have to. And why endanger that ecosystem? That's what we're worried about. Right. Well, I agree. And James Gardner wrote to dirt at showbizsandbox.com. Again, that's a D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. He also could have called and left us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. You could have reached out to us on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Now, all of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com, which is, by the way, is where you can find ways to subscribe to our show in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can usually find us, including Spotify, by the way. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as those ways to contact us and ways to subscribe to us. All of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online, and every week he's got a new and exciting website for us. What is it this week, Michael? This week is videovixen.com. Probably not family friendly. And also probably taken? It's not, as far as I know. It's weird. I don't know what I, I clicked on it, and it's just sort of blank. Oh, okay. Well, you know, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com, where all of his coverage of the entertainment industry can be found. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Let me guess, there's breaking news. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a dog barking. We just yes. got the breaking news. As you all know, NBC just announced they will not air the Golden Globes in 2022 until, you know, they're like, oh, nobody else wants to deal with you. I guess we won't either. So $60 million, they'll have a fight over that, won't they? Because that's what they were pairing a year. But yeah, the Golden Globes controversy not going away. It's easy to beat up on the Golden Globes. And the only one who's suffering is NBC because they missed a three-hour program that can get some ratings well yeah and this year it didn't get as many ratings as uh and i'm sure more than did it get more than the oscars uh it very well may have and in fact <laughs> which would that'd be the first year ever actually we should know that yeah um <laughs> but but i will say that uh, what will wind up happening is this will you know somebody's going to throw a contract around because there's a contract for this and they'll put it on like some like cnbc or like some you know a peacock plus or you know if you, in other words they'll still do something with it but it won't be on nbc that's right. So, where, so the 78th Golden Globes uh, would be the that's one we just had, 78th Golden Globe Awards, and the ratings were, the, the, the Oscars only got like, what, 10 million? They got like 10 million people. Oh, no, Golden Globes was just 7 million. So we were wrong about that. So still less than the Oscars. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, we're done. We're done. No, we made it over. We made it to an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.